You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? You guys are looking good. It's good to be with you guys. My name is Sam. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And, uh, man, I think Daniel's being modest because we are pumped for Easter. Okay, if somebody asks you, are you guys having a good Friday gathering, what's the answer? Yes! Tons of them. Okay, we are gathering as a church, and we're gathering all over the shore in each other's homes, in our community groups, connect groups. Uh, And like Daniel said, if you don't have a group, you're like, hey, I want to join one. We'll have several host homes that are signed up just for that night. And so if you're not in a community group, we still want you to gather as the church on Good Friday as we consider the question, why is that day called good? Why is it good? And so we're going to explore that together. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. Today we are continuing through the book of Philippians. We're going verse by verse on a journey through the book of Philippians. And the title of this series is called Unfinished. It's called Unfinished because we know that we are not finished. We know that the work that God is doing in our life, it is not yet complete. And so how many of you have heard the phrase, nobody's perfect? Show of hands? Okay. Raise your hand if you are not perfect. Ah, see how I tricked you into engaging? Because if you leave your hand down, you're like, now they're going to think I'm arrogant. Right? Nobody's perfect. We know this. We say this. We assent to the idea. But even though we know that, even though we know nobody's perfect, why is it that every time we're confronted with our own imperfection, we act shocked? Why is it that every time we come in contact with another imperfect human being, we find ourselves frustrated and surprised and, I can't believe it. We know nobody's perfect. And so how do you respond when you're confronted with your own imperfection? How do you respond when you come face to face with your own sin and your own brokenness? And so some of you here, you're in this room and you respond in shame. I can't believe I did this. And you're brought to tears by your own ability to sin so magnificently. And you're crippled by it. You respond in shame. Others of you in here, you boil with frustration. Oh, I can't believe I did that. And you just, there's rage and you're angry and you're frustrated at your own brokenness. Oh, how could I do that? Maybe you're in this room and you respond by isolating and you just feel so embarrassed and you cannot believe that you messed up that royally and so you just remove yourself. You don't deserve to be in the company of people right now. You are not qualified to be in community and so you isolate and you don't pick up the phone and you don't respond to those text messages and you don't show up at church. And people say, where has that person been? They're isolating because they have just seen and glimpsed their own sinfulness. Maybe you're here and you don't isolate. You still go out, but you just pretend, right? Hey, how you doing? Everything good? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And you just, you know, maintain the illusion that everything is okay and just keep smiling and you become obsessed with just how you appear. Because, man, if they really knew who you were, just pretend. 
Maybe you go to the other end of the spectrum, right? And you sin or somebody confronts you on your own fault, how you fall short, and you're just like, you become defensive, right? And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> you want to talk about my sin, right? I, I know I fall short of the line to gain, but can we talk about it? Why is the line even there in the first place? Oh, really? That's the standard? Or maybe you go the other way and you just, you know you're fallen, but you just, you just accept it. You stop trying. Nobody's perfect anyway, so hey, this is who I am. Why am I even going to keep going? You have a problem with that? Tough luck. Or maybe you're here and you come face to face with your sin. You come face to face with your brokenness and you know that deep down inside you're just drowning. And you despair and you feel hopeless and you're just like, I will never change. And it will never get better. And as people talk to you, they just, they can sense your despairing hopelessness. So what do you do, friends? What do you do when you're face to face with your own imperfections? What do you do when you look in the mirror and you are reminded of all the ways that you are not yet complete? Today we're going to continue through this portion of this letter and we're going to meet a dude who is far from perfect. We're going to meet a dude who often comes face to face with his own sinfulness. And as a matter of fact, it's the author of this letter. And we're going to learn, as we see his example, as we listen to his words, we're going to learn that there's actually only one thing that you can do. There's only one thing to do when you see your brokenness. There's only one thing to do when you realize that you fall short and you don't measure up. There's only one thing that you can do, and that is to press on. Press on, East Point Church. I know you're not perfect. I know that you make mistakes. I know that you still have a long way to go, but there's only one thing left to do. Press on. Press on. And that's our message this morning as we dive into chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. This is God's word for us this morning. Look what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Pause there. The first thing that Paul tells us is something that you and me already know. Friends, it's that we are not finished. We're not finished. We're not done yet. And so if you're here this morning like me and you say, hey, I know I'm not perfect. I know I have a, lo a lot of work to do and a long way to go. You're in good company. Okay, the author of our letter, he admits it. He says, I am not already perfect. I have not already obtained the thing that I have declared to be the ultimate aim of my life. And so if you were here last week, you know this, but let me catch you up. Last week, Paul, he stood up, right? And he says, this is the pursuit of my life. This is the thing that I am aiming for with all of my life energy, that I may gain Christ, that I may know him, that I may experience the power of his resurrection as the dead parts of my life come alive, that I may rest in his righteousness. In other words, he says, that I may live a Christ-centered life. He goes, that's what I want more than anything. That I may live a life where all of those lesser pursuits fade compared to the incomparable glory of knowing Jesus. I want to live a life, he says, where every aspect of my life is revolving around the fact that I know Jesus and I am his. But, 
I'm not there yet. And all of God's people said, ditto. I'm not there yet. Friends, I am not, I know I have a microphone, but don't be confused. I do not perfectly rest in the righteousness of Jesus. I do not perfectly experience the power of his resurrection. I don't perfectly consider everything as loss compared to knowing him. I have not perfectly become like Jesus. I do not perfectly walk in holiness. And so I echo Paul's sentiments when I say, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Have you? Show of hands if you're perfect. Exactly. So what do we do? What do we do in light of the fact that we still have a long way to go? Well, look what Paul does. He says, I know I'm not perfect, therefore I press on to make it my own. You see, the fact that he's not perfect, it doesn't cause him to hide in shame. It doesn't cause him to rage in frustration. It doesn't cause him to despair, to hopelessness. He says, instead, I am going to press on. I'm going to press on. Now, when I'm writing a sermon, one of the things that I like to do, I find the key words like this, right? So he repeats press on several times. So I find the key words, and then I like to look through the Bible. I look through a concordance. How many times is that word used? Okay, I just like to see it because I want to see how different authors use it. I like to get a sense of context and meaning. And so here's what I found this week. This word, it's called diochi, not even important, but it's like gnocchi, like chicken and gnocchi, Olive Garden. I'm going to ask for a chicken and diochi sandwich, okay? Listen, distraction. This word, this is the only place in the New Testament where it's translated as press on. Do you know how we usually translate it into English? Do you know what it usually shows up as? to persecute, to pursue. And so he's using that word here because it's a vivid picture of what he's doing. He says, I am pursuing Jesus, right? Normally it's used to say persecute, which means I'm hunting it down. I'm chasing it. I'm running after. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing for the Christ-centered life. He says, I'm pursuing Jesus with purpose. I am chasing after Christ-likeness. I am hunting down and getting after the Jesus-centered life. See, if you were to hang out with Paul, you would realize that his whole life was marked by this forward momentum. There was a sense of purpose as he actively chases and pursues the very thing to which Jesus called him to pursue. He says, I'm not there yet. I know it, but I'm getting after it. I am pursuing this. I am pressing on pressing on. And so yesterday, I was in Washington, D.C., and with a couple of buddies, I ran a race. I ran a half marathon in D.C., and it is impressive. 12,000 people on a run, all crazy enough to run over 13 miles. And so if you were there at the starting line, right, if you were to see all of these runners, you would notice that there's, there's a momentum, there's motion, there's a lean toward a goal. They are there with a purposeful pursuit toward the finish line. And so imagine you're there and you got the cowbells and like, woohoo, let's go, Sam, right? And you're running, right? Or you're not running. You're watching us get ready to run. And they say, on your mark, get set, go. You start moseying down the, down the field, right? And you're just meandering and you, you're walking over to the Gatorade and you're just sipping it, right? You guys, even if you're not a runner, you would be sitting there and you would be shouting, that's not how you do it, <laughs> right? Like, just, I'm just taking my time, and I'm just, like, 
This is a race. That's not how you do it. And so just like a runner, Paul tells us, I'm not meandering. I'm not just listlessly walking. I'm not moving aimlessly. He says, I am pressing on. Friend, are you meandering? Are you pursuing? Are you just kind of floating aimlessly? Or are you pressing on? Is your relationship with God, is your, uh, is your discipleship journey with Jesus, is it marked by an intentional, forward-looking, active growth? Look at your life. Are you aware of a steady momentum as you're growing in faith, as you're pursuing the very thing that Jesus has pursued you for? Are you pressing on? You're just kind of meandering. And to all of us in the room that are meandering, Paul says, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. Press on. Press on. Now, if you came here this morning and press on was simply my morning rally cry, if this was just a pep rally, if that was my motivational speech to you this morning, you would feel excited for about 15 minutes, but then you would go home, you'd wake up tomorrow, and you would be depressed because you're just like me. You know that you don't wake up every day wanting to get after it. You're just like me. You don't wake up every day with the energy and the boundless enthusiasm to just make sure that you keep running. You're just like me. You don't wake up every day filled with a sense of purpose and determination. There are days in your life, just like me, where the things of this world seem way more attractive than they ought to. There are days in your life where you wake up and you go, why am I even running such a hard race anyway? Right? And then on the days where you do wake up and you go, yes, I want to get after it, it just feels like the wind is in your face and everything is against you. You're just like me. And so is press on? Is this simply a matter of grit? Am I just calling you to a life of determination? Just try harder. Just be better. Just dig deep. Just press on. That's not real life. You don't have it in you to just grab yourself by your bootstraps and dig deep. And so look what Paul does. That's not what he's doing. Paul's not just digging deep. He says that the motivation that moves him to press on, the reality that keeps him from despairing is this. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Our pursuit of Christ is fueled and motivated as we recall his pursuit of us. Our pursuit of Christ is fueled and motivated when we recall his pursuit of us. He pursued me. Friends, he made me his own, and so I'm going to pursue that life and make it my own. I'm going to run, and I'm going to grab it, because that's the very thing that Jesus came toward me and grabbed me. That is comforting. Friends, that is inspiring when you realize that your run, it doesn't all depend on you. And so I know it. You're just like me. There are days where you don't feel like going anymore. But on those days, on the days where you don't feel like you have it in you, on the days where the excitement, where the memory of your baptism is just a faint, distant memory, but very clear in your mind is the mess that you just made this morning. On those days, Paul's reminding us, don't forget the one who grabbed you and made you his own. 
This race is not all on you. And so if he grabbed you then, if he made you his own at the beginning, guess what, friends? He still got you. If he made you his own at the starting line, he's still carrying you through this race. And so we are going to make it our own because he has made us his own. We are going to press on. Press on. Press on. And so how do we press on? How are we going to leave here and on Monday morning press on? How do we Tuesday afternoon press on? What about Wednesday? How do we press on? So on and so forth. Well, in the remaining verses, Paul's going to show us two things that he does to press on. Two things that you and I can do in our practical life that are going to help us reach and grab hold of the life for which Jesus grabbed hold of us. Would you like to see those? We're going to continue through our verses. Look what he says. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. To press on, you must move on. This is the second thing. To press on, you must move on. And so Paul says, I'm pressing on. I'm going to move forward. But there are two parts of that equation. There are two things he's doing that help him press on. And so we see here that he is forgetting and he is straining. To press on, I am forgetting what lies behind. I am giving up on them. I am forsaking them. And instead, I am straining. I'm exerting energy and effort forward, reaching for what's in front of me. Forget and strain. And so let's go back to our runner. Look what she's doing this time, okay? We know that she's moving. We can't mosey and meander. She's running forward. But don't just notice her legs. Notice her eyes. Where is she looking? So I used to coach track. I love track. I love running. I coached middle school track for five years. And I always told my kids, right? Your eyes control your head. Your head controls your shoulders. Your shoulders control your body. And so these seventh grade boys, right, they're running down the fin- toward the finish line. But what do they want to know in those last hundred meters? Where's everybody else, right? Am I winning? Am I winning? And I was like, stop it! Because where you look, what happens is you're running and you try to look, and now your head turned, and now your shoulders turned. Before you know it, you're swerving into the other lane, and you're disqualified. You see, our runner, they are moving forward. Their eyes are fixed on the finish line. They are running toward the prize that awaits them at the end. And Paul says, in the same way, forget what lies behind, eyes forward. Forgetting and straining. And so we're in this room, right? And we may not be seventh grade boys on the track, but we do the same move. We look and we have our eyes behind us and we don't realize that it's inhibiting our ability to press on. To press on, you must move on. We must stop looking in the rearview mirror. We need to forget those things. And so let me ask you, friend, what might you be tempted to look back on? What might be capturing your attention and you're still looking in the rearview mirror? And so maybe you're here and your failures, you just can't move on. 
You are so crippled by guilt and shame or regret that you're stuck in the past and you actually feel disqualified from moving on. Because, man, remember what happened? If you're here this morning, you need to remember that you are free and you are forgiven in Christ. Press on. Press on. Maybe it's not your failures. Maybe you're looking in the rearview mirror at your previous successes. You're so enamored with the achievements and accomplishments of yesteryear that you're still looking backward. Man, remember two, four, five, ten, remember 15 years ago? And we're trying to live out the glory days, but we need to remember, friends, that greater things are ahead of us than there are behind us. There's actually more in front of us. So press on. Maybe you're here and you're running, but those old pursuits, the temptations of your previous life, man, those are still, man, every once in a while, like, oh, they weren't that bad anyway, were they? I mean, maybe if I just stopped the race for a moment and really, like, I kind of miss them. And we need to remember that the temporary satisfaction of our old pursuits are rubbish. They tasted good for a moment, and then they destroyed us, and they lead to death. And those things are rubbish compared to the soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching experience of life with God. Forget those things. They're trash. Maybe you're here, and it's your old plans. Man, remember that 10-year plan you had 10 years ago? Remember when you graduated college, and you said, I know the plans I have for myself, declares myself. Remember when you were quoting that scripture verse? And you look back and you're like, what happened? And you're so consumed with what went wrong and you're, and you're trying to hold up the blueprints and you're like, what? where did I go wrong? And you're missing the fact that you were never writing your story in the first place. You're so, you're so obsessed with the, the, the situation at hand and how did this happen and I really wish I could have. God is writing your story. Eyes forward, don't miss it, press on. Forget what lies behind. Maybe you need to forget something that's familiar. Maybe you're tempted to look back simply because the, the unknown is scary, but it's very safe and comforting when we are familiar with something. And so we're dragging our feet and we're, we're still actually, not, we don't even want to move on really. Because I loved those days. Press on. Press on, church. Let's press on. As Paul says, let us forget what lies behind, eyes, head, shoulders, straight. And so let's do our little dance here, okay? We're running. We're forgetting what lies behind. But notice, he doesn't simply say, face forward, okay? He doesn't say, forsake what's behind and face forward. He says, no, 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 forsake what's behind and strain forward. It's not enough to face forward. He says, strain, exert your energy, sweat in effort forward toward what is in front of you. Chase what lies ahead. Persecute and pursue it. Hunt it down. Chase what lies ahead. And friends, what lies ahead for us? What's our finish line? The upward call of God. You see, if you don't know Jesus, if you are not in his family the finish line ends at death. What else is there, right? And so if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe in eternity, I would almost say, why are we even rushing the race, right? We should buy lotions and oils and aging things to slow down the race. I don't want this race to go on. And so I want to actually bring this race to a crawl. And why are we even running anyway? And let's just sit for a moment. Because this race is so short. 
And if the finish line is death, what a bummer. But you see, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus, he rose from the dead, and therefore our finish line is not death. We're running into eternity. It's almost like we're running uphill, runners. There, there's, there's an upward call. We're, we're not running. We're going that way. And we're straining toward the end. We're straining toward what lies ahead. This is what Paul is doing. He says, I'm pressing on for the upward call of God. But this is not just his personality. This is not just Paul's temperament. This is not just his style. That's just Paul doing Paul. He's going to do it over there. I'm going to do it over here. He says, no, no, no. And he looks at all of us and he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. This is how a mature follower of Jesus conducts his or her life. Forget what lies behind. Strain forward. All of you. That is the mature lifestyle. And if there's anything that you're not doing that in, if there's any aspect of your life that you're still doing a little bit of the mm, and a little bit of the mm, if there's any aspect of your life that is not pursuing the mature lifestyle of forgetting and straining, here's the promise. God will reveal that also to you. Oh, God will show you. Ask him, Lord, is there any area of my life that I'm not sufficiently forgetting? And he'll reveal it to you. Here's what that tells me. Jesus is not at the finish line shouting at us, come on, 4,000 miles to go, you got this, let's go. As he sits there eating his granola bar, you know. No, Jesus is on the track. Jesus is running alongside of you, and he's running next to you, and he's coaching you. And sometimes he just needs to pick you up and carry you, and he's watering you, and he's helping you endure. This race is not on you. He'll reveal it to you. It's like imagine if I'm running, right, and I'm running, and I'm like, coach, what's wrong? My knees are buckling, and I'm, and I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and my back hurts. What's wrong? And he's next to me saying, no, like this. Let's go. He's with you. This is not a, ra- a pep rally to motivate you to go and do it on your own. This is a call to realize he is with you. He has grabbed you, and now he's sustaining you, and he will coach you, and he will reveal it to you. We're not perfect, friends. We're not perfect. We have a long way to go. But I want to remind you, you may not be at the finish line, but you're also not at the starting line either. Come on, somebody, right? You're not where you want to be, but you're also not who you used to be. You've made some progress. I don't care how far into the run you are. You just started following Jesus yesterday. You're one day in. You're getting baptized on Easter Sunday. I mean, you are, you are getting going here. And so he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You're not where you want to be. Welcome to the club, but you're also not who you used to be. You've made some progress down the field. And so he says, just don't go backwards. I know it feels like you're limping. If you need to stop for a second, that's great. Just don't go backwards. Hold true to this line. You've made it this far. You're here. Hold true to what we have attained. Press on. Press on. And so if we're going to press on, we need to move on. And look at the second thing we need to do, the final thing from our last few verses. He says this, 
brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you want to press on? Do you want to strain? You want to press on? Well, then you need to move on. And then number two, you also need to keep your eyes on those who keep their eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on those who keep their eyes on Jesus. And so we're out here running, right? I told you 12,000 people yesterday in D.C. Your life, you're pursuing Jesus. You're running, but you're in a field of runners. There are hundreds of millions of people in this race. Some of them are ahead of you. Some of them are the same spot as you. Some of them are behind you. And so Paul, who is slightly ahead of this field, he's shouting back over his shoulder and he says, hey, join in imitating me, okay? Do what I do, a.k.a. like this, okay? Yesterday, it was mile, mile five, five to six, massive hill is coming, and I'm running, and I'm starting to feel a little bit. I'm like, why am I doing this again? You know what I'm saying? And so you get there, and I swear, I'm glad he's not here, because I'd be mortified for him to know how much I'm fanboying, but there was like this I swear it was the God of running came by me. And he was like 6'5", and I'm just like, eh. and I'm struggling. I'm like, get up the hill. And I'm like, look like Quasimodo trying to get up that hill. And this guy comes standing tall, just cha 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 I mean, it was like picture perfect. I mean, dude's head didn't even move. I'm like a bobblehead. And he's just like, cha 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 Perfect. And it inspired me. And I'm going to tell you what I did. I was just like, that looks awesome. And you know what I did? I jumped behind him and I started, I'm not kidding, literally, I stood right behind him, probably too close for comfort, and I just started imitating him, and I was like, oh, his head's not moving, and his elbow, I was like, yeah, and I'm like winking at people as they pass, I'm like, me and my buddy here, just cranking this out, dude, no lie, at one point, at one point, he turns over his shoulder, he, he turns and he, you know, like, he senses, like, I'm right on his tail, he turns and he, and he moves over, thinking I want to pass, and I was like, nope, <laughs> And then he does it again, second time. He, he swerves thinking somebody's trying to pass him. I was like, no, man, I'm imitating you. And then finally he kind of just comes back and gives me a look. And I was like, all right, my bad, my bad. Right? <laughs> he looks so good. You become better by running after people who are better. And in the same way, Paul says, you will become a mature follower of Christ when you imitate mature followers of Christ. He says, follow me, join in imitating me. Not just me, you may not know me personally, and so just see those who walk according to the example you have in us. The Lord puts people ahead of us as examples who are worthy of emulation and imitation. There are people slightly ahead of you who are following the teachings of Jesus and their eyes are fixed on the finish line and they say, follow me as I follow Christ. And we just get in there. Keep your eyes on those who keep their eyes on Jesus. 
And when you see people like that in your life, don't just notice them out of the corner of your eye. Get in line, right? He says, keep your eyes, lock onto them, focus and concentrate here. For these people are gifts from the Lord. And so let me ask you a question, my friend. Who in your life has God put there that is worthy of imitation and emulation? Who has God put in your life so that you can see how they run, how they live after Jesus, how they're getting after the Christ-centered life? Who is it? And I want you to pay attention. I want you to think about this because in our day and age, we tend to think of following Jesus like an independent study. I'm going to figure it out on my time, my class, my thing. It's an independent study. It's a self-directed course. Following Jesus is not an independent study. It's an apprenticeship. The way that we learn how to follow Jesus, it's not on our own, just studying and figuring it out. We are meant to find people who have found people before them, who found people before them, and learn how to run. Who are the people that God has brought into your life for that reason? Let me change the question slightly. Who are the people that are in your life because you're meant to be the example in front of them? Who are the people who are slightly behind you that you can say, follow me as I follow Christ? Whoa, Sam, hey, 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 I don't think I'm in any position to start teaching people how to run. I mean, do you see this? You're not at the starting line. You, you're, you may only be one mile in, but to be a follower of Jesus is to help others follow Jesus. So if you know this much, teach this much. If you know this much, teach this much. Pass it on. Get into the habit. Because here's what happens. We're young men. Where are my young dudes at? Men in the room? Oh, let's go, all right? Men. We're young men, and we go, when I get older, when I become a man, then I'll get somebody behind me. And then we look around, and we go, there's not as many people in front of us anymore. And we go, oh, we're old men now. We're the men. Don't wait. You remember what it was like to be the youngest in the room? Where are my old guys at, right? Remember what it was like when you were the young guys? Yeah. <laughs> this is how the God's family is supposed to work. This is why we have an intergenerational community of faith. We don't have one gathering for the senior citizens and another gathering for the 20-year-olds. And then we have one gathering for like the 30-year-olds who don't want to be super edgy but kind of traditional. Why are we dividing up the family of God based on, on ages and preferences? If you're older than me, I need you. And if you're younger than me, you need me. We need each other. Older men teach younger men. Older women teach younger women. We need to be a community that makes it normal. Hey, get in the car. Come with me. Like this. Like this. We should all get tattoos on our back. Like this. Dude, that would actually be a pretty dope East Point church shirt. Wouldn't that be? At least a shirt if you're not going to go all in on the tat with me. Like this. This is how we run. And let me talk to you, my older friends. We can't follow you if you don't include us in your lives. In order to emulate me, I need to be close enough to see you. We can't have church once a week on a Sunday and expect there to be a culture of discipleship. We need to be in each other's homes. Hey, we should do that for Good Friday. Hey, we should do that every week for community group. We need to get close enough to each other. And I know there are many of you in here who have been in church your whole life and you go, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, I don't need groups. We need you. 
If you're here and you say, I don't need community group, then maybe you need to hear this. Community group needs you. We need each other. We need to get close enough to each other's lives. I need older parents. I have a six, a four, and a two-year-old. I need people in my life who are at 12, 10, and 8. Because I'm struggling. You're here with your teenagers. You need to be hanging out with people who have just graduated their teens, and now they're struggling with how to parent adult children who think they know everything. You're in here, and you have adult children, and you're trying to figure out how to parent them. You need people who they're now entering into the grandparent phase. Do you see Keep your eyes on those who keep their eyes on Jesus. This is so, so critical, friends. This is so, so important. And do you know why? Do you know why we need to be almost like, well, intentional about pursuing good examples? Because there's no lack of bad examples. Paul says it here. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Remember last week, we learned about these teachers who were pushing circumcision, of all things. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you must be circumcised. And they were legalistic about it and militant and divisive. And if you didn't know any better, if you just saw them running, you would go, okay, I'll follow them. But if you start to compare their example with the example of those who follow Jesus, you start to see very clearly, oh, this is different. They are not resembling Jesus one bit. They are spreading a teaching that is so counter to the message and movement of Jesus that Paul calls them enemies of the cross. And so Paul is brokenhearted at the damage that they are doing to God's families. These conversations bring him to tears because these bad examples are wreaking havoc. Look how he describes these teachers. He says their end is destruction. Don't follow them because they're walking off a cliff. They have rejected the Son. They're living for themselves, and as a result, God is going to reject them. Don't follow them. He says, their God is their belly. That's my favorite line in the whole book. It's an expression. When he says their God is their belly, what he's saying is the God that they bow to is the desire of the moment. They are ruled by passions and by their appetites. If they have an itch, they scratch it. If they have a desire or a hunger, they indulge it because that is their God. They have their minds set on earthly things. And so these people, they're not stopping their corrupt ministry. They're not going to stop setting a bad example because at the end of the day, this ministry, it is feeding their lust for power. It is feeding their desire for control and importance and the ability to manipulate others. They're doing this thing because it's all about them and it feels good. And they're not even embarrassed. They're not even stressing about what they're doing, the damage they're doing to God's family. Instead of being embarrassed, he says they glory in their shame. The very things that they ought to be ashamed of, they're proud of it. Friends, there are so Many people in this world who are wearing the Christian label but don't resemble the message or person of Jesus. That's why we have elders at our church. Do you know that? Like the job of an elder is to guard the flock from anything that doesn't look good. And so they're called wolves in sheep clothing because they look good and it smells good and they quote the scriptures and they seem knowledgeable. But you're going, that is trash. That is garbage. That is dangerous. And so my message to you, friends, 
I'm never going to sit here. You're never going to hear this pulpit uh, to be the heresy hunters. Hey, that person, that name, that author, oh, this author, okay? We're going to spend most of our time on the truth. But you should know, not everything that is found on the Christian bookshelf resembles the message of Christ. And so you need to be discerning. Well, how should I discern? How can I tell the difference? How can I know what's good or not? Follow the example of those you have in us. Follow after people who are knowledgeable of the gospel and who embody and live out the implications of the gospel. And so that's why we must keep our eyes on mature believers. And as you do, as you fix your eyes on those that you're running after, do you know what you're going to be reminded of? Do you know what their example will teach you? Mature followers of Jesus remind us to live with the end in mind. When you follow after a mature believer, they will remind you that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. They press on. They're running because they remember that earth is not their home. Our true home is in heaven. And so obviously you guys know about the Ukrainian refugee crisis going on right now, right? Millions of people being displaced from Ukraine, and they're living in Moldova and Georgia and Hungary. They're moving into Poland. If you were to go and talk to any one of the 6 to 10 million that they're estimating to come out of there, if you go and talk to any one of them, they will tell you the difference between their address and their home. They're being placed in dwellings. They're given new addresses. They say, this is your home. And they may be there for, who knows, the foreseeable future, how many years they will live in those neighboring countries. But they will always know the difference between their address and their home. They're just temporarily passing through. They're not from here. And so, yes, they want to fit in. They'll, they'll do their best to learn the language. They'll be courteous. They will fit in, but they won't blend in. They will learn the language, but they'll never lose their identity because they know the difference between their address and their home. Friends, earth is our address, but it's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so, yes, we want to fit in on earth, right? We want to be good neighbors. We want to be normal people, right? We get it. Fit in. But don't blend in. Don't blend in. Remember the difference between your address and your home. We are here on temporary visas. We are passing through. Heaven is our home. We don't live for the here and now. We don't live for earthly things because earth is not our home. We're just passing through. How long, you may ask? How long are we passing through? What are we waiting for? Why not go home? Well, he says, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And just like he grabbed you at the beginning of your race, he's going to grab you again, and he's going to bring you into eternity to live with him forever. We believe that. And when he grabs you, he's going to transform your earthly body. He's going to transform these knees that creak and these ankles that moan and the neck that groans and the aches and the pain. He's going to transform your body. Just like he had a new body on Easter Sunday, we're going to have a new body. And so, friend, I ask you, where is your home? Have you confused your address for your home? 
Have you started to move beyond fitting in, and now you're trying to blend in? Our citizenship is in heaven. And when you remember that heaven is your home, life is different. You start to spend your time differently. You start to interact with people differently. Your, everything is put into perspective. When you remember that earth is not your home, it allows you to press on. Press on, East Point Church. Press on for the prize that awaits us, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we are running this race, not out of our own goodness, not out of our own effort, but you've saved us. You have made us your own. And so, Lord, we run with the confidence to know that you are with us, sustaining us and carrying us. Lord, I pray for my friends here that you would help them to press on, that you would help them to forget what lies behind, that this week their life would be marked by a strain, an exertion of energy forward, that they would be chasing after Jesus, that they would run into your presence. May we be a church that's moving forward, God. Not aimlessly wandering, but getting after you. We love you, Lord. We're so appreciative of you. Continue to change us day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.